Welcome into the Paul Kuharski Podcast. I'm Paul Kuharski of paulkuharski.com, part of 440 Sports on the podcast. And I have fulfilled my obligation to mention my name three times. And now I'm going to hit you with what we're going to talk about here. We're going to start with the conversation about Malik Willis, who's kind of a forgotten man, and understandably so. I'm going to talk a little bit about the staff switches over the course of Mike Vrabel's tenure with this team. I've got a small technical adjustment example at just how meaningful something like that could be maybe in a context that's uh, a little bit of a surprise. And I'm going to continue to beat the drum on how you should be regarding Titans Twitter. So it's good to have you with me. Whatever podcast platform you're listening on, please um, subscribe, like, and take the time to offer a review. If you're with me on YouTube, please do the same and uh, welcome on all fronts. Uh, please check out paulkuharski.com. Uh, best value going on Titans analysis that is off the beaten path and the beaten path is getting the hell beaten out of it. Um, quick thoughts on some of these rumors that are being beat the hell out of that I've not uh, done much more than maybe offer a tweet on or some of them uh, I've ignored. I've gotten so much uh, groundswell, I'm compelled to just touch on them briefly. Um, as a matter of fact, I've got good cause to uh, to believe that Titans are not interested in, in Derek Carr, nor should they be. He's different, but not better than Ryan Tannehill. Um, and he's not made the most of having better receivers than Tannehill's had for most of the time. Devontae Adams this last year, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro. They'd come out of acquiring Carr with roughly the same kind of cap problem that they have this year. If you stack the $18.8 million of dead money that Ryan Tannehill would leave behind if they cut him or dealt him, um, and then the first-year money of a, of a car contract, um, it would undoubtedly come out to somewhere around $36 million. If you're moving on from Tannehill, Part of the reason you're doing so, a big part of the reason you're doing so, is to get some financial freedom this year and get away from a cap number of, of $36 million for that level of production. Carr's got a better arm, and there are some things that are better about him, but he's not the greatest decision maker. And uh, he just had a team completely give up on him. Um so I, I, I don't see him as a solution, and I'm pretty confident the Titans don't see him as a solution either. Um, uh, as to the Jets rumors, uh, look, maybe the Jets will wind up um, giving the Titans two draft picks for Ryan Tanhill and taking on his base salary, which is all they can take on. I don't know where this nonsense and the volume that it gets that they can take on all of the money and leave the Titans with no charges. I mean, everybody that's spreading that just doesn't understand how the salary cap works. Dead money is money that is already paid. 
signing bonuses, roster bonuses, and the like. You've paid it, and it's on your books as an accounting method. You cannot give it away. There's not a mechanism for the Jets to take that. Ryan Tannehill, if he's off the team, off the Titans this year, costs them $18.8 million. No matter what, no exception. If somebody's telling you that the Jets can take that, they're full of shit. So stop listening to that person. It's false. Um, and in terms of the Jets wanting Tannehill, I don't know why they wouldn't first look at their options with Aaron Rodgers. Um, and, and perhaps with Derek Carr, who's not going to cost them any draft compensation. And as I said, you know, could um, be, you know, roughly the same guy. He's got some different strengths and weaknesses, but uh, for no draft comp compensation and uh, perhaps a similar contract um, might, might be in some ways more intriguing. Also, uh, Woody Johnson, owner of the Jets, pretty much told Diana Russini at the Super Bowl, he towed the tampering line and, and pretty much said that they were uh, intrigued, curious, interested, however you want to put it, in Aaron Rodgers. But uh, I, I'm going to talk more about the, the Twitter stuff later. People just want to hear the stuff that goes along the path of, of what they want to hear, and they want to ignore the stuff that goes counter to the path that they want to see pan out or discuss. Um, in, in terms of that 18.8 million dead money, the only way that changes is if the Titans don't make a move with Tannehill until June 1st, which wouldn't really help them that much because they'd have to carry the $36 million cap hit until June 1st. And most teams are going to want their quarterback stuff in order by June 1st, including the Titans. Um, <clears throat> now they could keep Tannehill and draft the quarterback conceivably, but then they're waiting on somebody to want Tannehill until after June 1st, at which time they could split that cap in half and put $9.4 million on 2023 and $9.4 million, excuse me, on 2024. But it's impractical to wait that long. It's the move they made with Julio Jones, which is why he was on the books for two years after they got rid of him. It's a smaller number, though, to wait on to clear. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, there wasn't a, a trade possibility there or, or they weren't concerned with another team waiting on him. We'll get back to Twitter and motives and how we read stuff here. But I want to talk about Malik Willis, who we haven't discussed at all through this, and with good reason. Malik Willis was completely ineffective, so much so in his <clears throat> relief chances and then three starts that the Titans went out and got a practice squad guy from Detroit to come in and start their final two games with Tannehill Hurt, two games that they needed to uh, well, one of them proved to, to be irrelevant, but the last one they needed to win in order to end a six-game losing streak and get into the playoffs with the win in Jacksonville. <clears throat> Josh Dobbs was much better than Malik Willis. He wasn't as much better as everybody wants to believe. He could not lead the Titans to wins in either of those two games. <clears throat> and ultimately, 
season ended with seven game losing streak and, and everybody knows the story. I have zero confidence in Malik Willis based on what we saw. I think even a guy who needs a lot of time, who you would have liked not to have played in his rookie season at all, should, given the chances that Malik Willis had, have shown you some glimmers where you say, ah, on those handful of plays, you could really see what they're hoping for from this guy. And we didn't see that kind of stuff at all, which really did a lot to snuff out the hope. I don't think a tankathon with him starting in 2023 is, is on the horizon for this team, but fresh starts for a ton of guys who are going to be uh, around this spring and summer are on the horizon. And Malik Willis is, I think, inevitably uh, going to be one of those guys. You're not cutting a third-round draft pick um, before a new offensive staff gets a thorough look at him, gets to design some stuff for him, and gets to work uh, hands-on with him at OTAs, um, at minicamp, and and through training camp and and maybe putting him in some preseason games again the way he got so much action last year depending on what they're doing um with their first string quarterback and maybe uh you know with Malik Willis's competition so Tim Kelly the new offensive coordinator Charles London the new quarterback coach slash passing game coordinator Mike Vrabel the head coach and and the remainder of the offensive staff are going to get uh, they're going to be piecing together a revised playbook with some new language and with some new ideas this spring. And some of that is going to have um, Malik Willis in in mind. Uh, you know, maybe it's a, a small section that's tagged on to the end specifically for him that's completely throwawayable if 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 he doesn't make it out of camp. Um, or, or maybe it's, uh, you know, more in inclusive to him um, and, and more permanent, uh, depending on what they think of Tannehill's mobility, if Tannehill's the guy or, or, uh, or what the guy who is going to be starting can do. But um, they're going to get on the field with him starting in April, and they're going to assess for themselves just what they have as Rand Carthon is, is going to do between now and, and then I talked to Blake Bettingfield, uh, you know, the official PK.com scout uh, about this uh, because Jalen hurts and his Super Bowl success and his path into his third year with the Eagles made me think about Willis. Not that I think that Willis is going to become Jalen hurts, but that Jalen hurts came into the league with most everybody thinking he wasn't a good enough passer to become what he's become. And I think most people, including me, think that Malik Willis isn't a good enough passer uh, to follow anything close to that kind of track. And Blake said, you know, um, Hertz was, was really well-schooled as a quarterback. His dad was a coach, um, well-schooled at, in high school, even though he had inconsistent throwing technique and fundamentals 
as he headed to Alabama. At Alabama, they worked around that with a great offensive line, and he had great rep weapons at running back um, and, and then, of course, at, at wide receiver when he did throw. At Oklahoma, he had less of those things, and he had to throw, uh, you know, throw it better, um, which was was a good experience for him. But then the Eagles, as they brought him in and and turned to him, concentrated on doing the same kind of things that Alabama did for Hertz. Willis was not as advanced coming out of high school, um, but he's fast and twitchy and had a strong arm. He didn't have his first round talent around him the way that Hertz did. And so he wasn't a complimentary piece of his offense. He was the piece. And so he was the face of the offense, and he was a one read and then take over and go quarterback, uh, particularly um, at Liberty after his, uh, his Auburn experience. I think the sins of last year for uh, Malik Willis – um, will be washed away now with this new staff. I think that might be hard for Vrabel, who had, you know, has a lot to, to hold against Willis for what he was unable to do, but also is a smart enough coach to know that a young guy's got to make some mistakes and take some lumps and grow and that they've got a third-round pick in, invested in him. Um, and, and those sins can be more so washed away with, with a new staff. And so, um, you know, he's got a fresh start with Carthon. He's got a fresh start with, uh, with Kelly, who may have been involved somewhat behind the scenes. He's got a completely fresh start with London as the quarterback coach and the passing game coordinator who hadn't seen him. So two key guys, Carthon and London, are starting from zero with him. And I think while the parallels with Hertz are not, you know, super defined, and, and it, it, they're not super parallel, but there are some commonalities there. I think today you've got to think, you know, if I've got a guy who uh, has some traits and there was some potential there, uh, we've got to give it every chance to turn into something. I don't have a lot of faith that it's going to turn into something, but I also think guys like Jalen Hurts, or even Malik Willis, um, because of what Jalen Hurts has done, are less likely to last to the second or the third round now with so much quarterback desperation. I was impressed last year at the patience that people showed in drafting quarterbacks. Uh, Matt Corral, Pickett being the only first-rounder, Ritter, Willis – and uh, I wonder if that's going to turn into a one-year aberration and if people aren't going to be able to restrain themselves because they need the quarterback and because they've seen what Philadelphia did with Hurts, who wasn't that highly regarded coming out, um, but who surrounded by great coaching and great team building that had given him the right things uh, gave him a chance to turn into what he's turned into and a not great thrower made some damn good throws in the Super Bowl and threw a very, very good season where he, uh, what, was runner-up for MVP? It's a pretty damn good story. Uh, You don't want to be overly hopeful, but uh, it does give you cause for hope if you're looking at somebody with any kind of a similar story. That said, 
I'm not overly optimistic about Malik Willis at all, but I think we've kind of forgotten about him in all of this. Um, and there's still some potential that, that maybe he could turn into something in the long run, even if it's just, uh, you know, a, 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 a quality backup. Maybe he's a quality backup for the Titans in 2024. I don't see it. But these coaches are supposed to be developers now, right, of players and of an offense. And John Robinson spent a third rounder on this guy. The Titans need to do their best to turn it into something. I wanted to talk to a little bit about Mike Vrabel's staff with all these, uh, not all these, but the, a decent amount of newcomers have, have uh, come into the door. And so I sat down and kind of did a chart of uh, then and now um, to compare because I feel like the staff has, has grown largely because there are a lot of uh, different titles and the like. And the staff has not grown that much. The offensive staff in 2018 was nine deep, and the defensive staff uh, in Vrabel's first year was eight deep. Those have both grown by one. So the, the overall staff, and I'm not counting strength and conditioning here, which was strength and conditioning then and which is sports performance now, um, three people in, in that department both times, if I counted correctly. But the on-the-field staff, also not counting Stretch, who was Vrabel's assistant in 2018 and is now the football development coordinator. A lot of these titles are curious, and I've talked about that in a previous episode. But the total staff has gone from 19 to 21. Um, and there are only a few people still in the same role. Rob Moore was the wide receivers coach at the beginning. He is the wide receivers coach now. Mike Sullivan was the assistant offensive line coach. He remains assistant offensive line coach. Um, Terrell Williams is the defensive line coach at the beginning and remains the defensive line coach. So those three guys are uh, still in the roles that they were in at the beginning. Two others, Pat O'Hara and um, Luke Steckel from the offensive staff remain on the offensive staff and we'll get to them in a minute. But I, I thought the interesting thing is uh, the changes. So defensive backs were, it was initially Kerry Combs. Um, and when, when he left to go to Ohio state as co-defensive coordinator, Vrabel split defensive backs into cornerbacks and safeties. Um, now you've got, a passing game analyst, uh, analyst in uh, Pat O'Hara and a run game analyst in uh, in Luke Steckel. His third job with the Titans, he started as an offensive assistant, went to tight ends, and now run game uh, analyst. Um, and um, Craig Aukerman, I should have said, also stayed in the same job. So Moore, Terrell Williams, Craig Aukerman as special teams coach, and Mike Sullivan, assistant offensive line coach. Four guys remaining in their same positions heading into Vrabel's sixth season. <clears throat> Four dressed-up titles now in the hierarchy of, um, of Vrabel's staff. More help for the coordinators because there are now on offense these two analysts, 
and a, a passing game coordinator. There was last year too. There's a new one now in Charles London. The analysts will be able to look further ahead, which uh, should be a good thing in terms of game planning. So as soon as they get started in on Tuesday in terms of a game plan, those analysts will have been able to look ahead um, more at the team that's coming and tell um, Tim Kelly, Mike Vrabel, Charles London about what the the run defense and the pass defense they're about to see, uh, have more information on those units. That would seem to be a good thing. Um, the passing game coordinators on both sides of the ball, Charles London, who coaches the quarterbacks, and Chris Harris, who will coach the, the cornerbacks, won't have as much time to, to look forward that way because they're busy coaching positions. But those are the alterations um, in title that uh, make things a little bit different, and we're going to have to see in practice how those things happen. Staff's not as dramatically different in terms of growth, uh, at number numerical growth, as we might have seen. And I hope Mike Vrabel um, during the year will tell us a little bit about how uh, those roles are panning out. But the idea of getting um, a real-time review from him, probably not realistic. A sip of water and a pause. Um, PaulKuharski.com, $5.99 a month. If you're watching on YouTube, you see the advertisement at the bottom of the screen. You can get 12 months for the price of 11. Everything I write, a uh, private Facebook page where we talk amongst ourselves and uh, generate some of the ideas that I cover um, here and uh, on the site. Private um, video chats on a uh, private YouTube page where a lot of great conversation goes on without uh, without the riffraff. And um, columns from uh, Blake Bettingfield, who I mentioned earlier, and right now Mike Herndon, who uh, just wrote the second piece in a, uh, what he's doing is an excellent series. Last week he previewed free agent offensive linemen. Wednesday um, I posted his preview of um, – potentially available wide receivers. So he did free agents to be as well as um, wide receivers who could be cut around the league and become available. And maybe people you'd consider trading for um, an excellent and thorough review. My personal philosophy on, on this subject matter would be to draft and develop a guy, say fifth overall or in the second round, um, and see one of those guys get really good and then sign them to a long-term contract. Um, and then maybe they'd be, you know, a big factor in a Super Bowl season, like say AJ Brown was, um, for the Eagles. So I, you don't want to harp on the thing, but it's just such a bad move for a team that has struggled so badly at wide receiver to, um, trade him for what you did watch him be so successful and then see a team wind up where it is now, where it's in dire need of wide receiver help. Um, 
it's frustrating for me as an observer. I can only imagine how you feel as a fan. Also this week, I've written about lessons to be learned out of the Super Bowl for the Titans besides that one. Um, and uh, details about footing, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Raymond Barry, one of the most meticulous football players I've ever read about and how he handled poor footing all the way back in 1958. And just what's become of Mike Munchak's quality control coaches from uh, a bad staff that he had that was part of his downfall when he was head coach of the Tennessee Titans. He had bad staff. He had some good quality control coaches. Um, so I'll get to that uh, footing issue here. Get through these pages I had about that thing. Listen, the Super Bowl field footing was atrocious, and I'm not making any excuses for the NFL to have a field that was in such bad condition. The same way I didn't make any excuses for the Titans to have such a bad field at Nissan Stadium, even if they're in this transition zone in the country where it's hard to grow grass that is good in both August in Nashville, Tennessee, and in November, December, and January in Nashville, Tennessee, a fact that has prompted them now to uh, install uh, a new high-tech, organic, artificial surface. That said, when natural grass turns out to be shitty, I don't understand why everybody just throws up their hands and says, well, the grass is shitty, we're going to slip and just accepts that they slip. I don't understand why everybody changes their cleats during the game instead of during this six-hour warm-up where we see guys out there walking around forever before the game, talking to their friends and stretching their elastic bands and listen to, listening on their fancy headphones to their personal soundtrack, doesn't test the footing to a significant degree to know exactly what cleats they should be wearing before the game and, and, and tested it out. Go read what I wrote about what Raymond Barry did in 1958 at Yankee Stadium in terms of familiarizing himself with the turf and playing it to his advantage against defensive backs who did not play it to their advantage. If the turf is bad, there's no reason you, if you are a meticulous, smart individual, can't, maybe you're going to slip some, can't slip less than the guy who's covering you, can't use it to your advantage against the blocker who is blocking you. I'm not saying it's ideal by any means, but use everything. Nobody ever talks about this. And Mike Vrabel, who I think is an excellent coach, I've asked him about slipping repeatedly at the Titans practice field and at uh, Nissan Stadium. And uh, he, he just shrugs. Why are guys slipping, Mike? I don't know. I don't know. Now, maybe there's a whole different conversation going on in the background, but this widespread acceptance of slipping. When I see guys on teams that I root for slip, or in games that I'm watching that I have an interest in, slip. Ask my wife and kid all the time. I say, don't slip. Be more sure-footed. Get, get your, your body over your feet. 
know that the turf is bad in these spots or bad generally. Have on the right shoes. Yeah, it's inevitable at times. But I, I honestly think guys can minimize it and that we give them a free pass because the field's shitty to slip. And you're allowed to slip on anything. Yeah, you know, slip, and that guy catches it, and it's a pick six. Well, he slipped. The field was bad. These guys can do better on bad surfaces. They shouldn't have to. Granted, they should not have to. But if that's what they're playing on, it's part of the job. Go read about Raymond Barry. Raymond Barry understood this in a way that I haven't heard anybody talk about in the time that I've covered the league since 1995. And I think – we give them a, a free pass, a free pass that, that, that they don't deserve. We expect them to deal with uh, all, all kinds of stuff, but for some reason we don't expect them to uh, address this in any way, shape, or, or form. You're allowed to be better at dealing with it than the guy opposite you. Why not? Titans Twitter. Here's why I hate Twitter overall. Ian Rappaport, Rap Sheet, said on NFL Network, the Titans are among the teams, quote, expected to be interested, end quote, in Derek Carr. Expected to be interested. Expected to be interested. Four words. Four words is too many for us. We cannot handle four words. Four is a very small number, but it's too big for us. We immediately drop expected to be and get it to one word, interested. Titans are interested in Derek Carr. Hey, did you hear the Titans are interested in Derek Carr? Hey, Paul, the Titans are interested in Derek Carr. That's not what he said. He said expected to be interested. And where do you think that's coming from? Do we ever look at this information and consider it and boil it down? No, uh, very few people on my timeline do. I think subscribers to my site want conversations like this and, and want to know how stuff like this works. I hope you do who are listening to me. I hope you'll come join the site where we, we delve into stuff like this. Who do you think is behind something like that? Rappaport, I think, listed four teams. Saints certainly are interested because they – you know, had a formal visit and permission to talk contract before Carr was cut. Carolina is another one. Jets, maybe Titans. That might have been the list of four. Expected to be interested. Who benefits from that? The agent and Carr, right? Saints probably front runner there. Already had the visit. Might have been willing to trade something for him. But once he hits the free agent market, well, the agent wants the Saints to believe there's competition out there. As much competition as, as possible. All right? Where's there some quarterback doubt? Let's get those names out there. Doesn't have to be true or not. The Titans aren't going to come out and say it's not. Titans are just sitting back doing whatever the Titans are going to do. The agent is serving his client and he's serving himself by putting this out. If you pay close attention to the league, 
90% of what Schefter and Rappaport do is repeat what the agents text them. They cut and paste it most of the time on Twitter. When they get in front of the camera, they're just repeating what they just read off their phone. They're information exchangers. This agent, Carr's agent, tells him these four teams are interested. He repeats that. In exchange for that, the agent, when the contract comes out, gives him a tip, and he's first with the contract. He's first saying who he signed with. or He's not first. He gets the same text that Schefter gets, and they're simultaneous, and they're ahead of everybody, and everybody thinks they've got some magic formula. Well, that's the magic formula. He gets it because he put out this stuff that helps him negotiate the contract, helps him negotiate the contract and get some leverage because he's saying some teams are interested that probably aren't interested, that aren't in the mix. It's all part of how the stuff works. But people don't seem to want to know that. They love the rumor mill. Look, I love hearing who the Yankees are interested in, but I, I want it from people who actually know who they're interested in. I don't want it from people who can't read a, a tweet expected to be interested in is code. It's, it, I mean, it, it's not even code. It's clear expected to be interested in is translate that with me. What it means is the agent is telling me these teams are interested because it's going to serve him best, but too few people care about how that's packaged. Fewer and fewer people care about the process of how this whole thing works. I love those of you who are interested in the intricacies of how, how this whole transactional thing works. Those of you who just want to be like, oh, the Titans are in on car, and then go yell about it on the radio, it's, it's, it's nonsense. Why do we invest in this, in this nonsense? I don't get it. And it's it's uh, it's it's not worth. It. I had two little anecdotes I wanted to share. Um, this small adjustment making a big deal for someone, and I know Titans coaches and and professional coaches probably get this all the time. I have a thirteen year old baseball player in my house, and this will play better for some of you on YouTube. But I'll I'll paint the picture as best I can for those who are listening. He's a shortstop and a center fielder, but he also really likes to pitch. And so for the whole time he's been a pitcher, when he brings his hands together in front of him, picture kind of your hands in prayer in front of you. He's brought his hands together that way, facing each other. So the glove hand is facing his left hand. He's right-handed thrower. His left hand with the glove has faced center field. And the holding the ball has faced the catcher, obviously. Well, he's got a, a new assistant coach on his travel team who's very focused on the pitchers. And he took some video of these guys a couple weeks ago, and then they had a bullpen session last week. And all he did was ask him to take that glove hand, and rather than having it face backwards, face center field, turn it, and have it face his face, if you will, his chin or his chest. And this freed him up 
as he went through his motion, as that arm started to lead towards the plate, allowed him to more naturally kind of open his front side. When he had it facing center field, as he started towards the mound, he was more closed and it was more of an adjustment to get open. It, it made him closed. And then he did weird things. The effect of this one move, turning his glove from facing center field to facing him, which amounts to what? A half turn of his glove did so much for his delivery and to free up his upper body in his turn had to have added five miles an hour to, uh, to his throws, to his pitches, uh, increased his accuracy. This is in one bullpen session on a, on a Thursday night. It was, uh, I mean, anybody who out there is a parent who's seen your kid, you know, get a lesson in anything and improve dramatically on or, or have a light bulb go off. You know how overwhelmingly happy it makes you to see them be so overwhelmingly happy from seeing an adjustment work. We've also seen, you know, something take them a long time and click in and get it. And that's gratifying, too. But I was just thinking, you know. Rabel and his staff surely see stuff like this happen all the time where a little tweak, especially with a, with a young guy makes a sudden difference for them and how, uh, how gratifying that must be. And uh, I certainly told the coach right after this practice, you know, gosh, man, you made that one little thing and it changed the whole world for him right there in that hour and a half. It was a very cool thing. One other thing, some of you have covered my uh, or, or followed along in the uh, story of my dog, my younger of my two dogs, who's heading towards his second birthday, Ripley, who had um, his front, one of his front legs amputated because he had some strange, strange cancer in there. And he's doing great. He is uh, happy as can be. Just ate a good piece of the rug today. My wife was really thrilled that I let him get away with. So I've been taking him on walks around the block lately to try to tire him out a little bit so he wouldn't do something like eat the rug, but that didn't work. Um, and when he pees in the yard, he's always been a squatter. But when we go around the block, of course, there are mailboxes and light poles. And um, he wants to, you know, be a man's man when he gets to these. And so he wants to hike his, his back leg. But he hasn't figured out that as a three-legged dog, if he hikes a back leg, he becomes a two-legged dog and balance becomes very tenuous, uh, very difficult. And um, so he, he topples over. <laughs> I hate to laugh at him because uh, I feel badly for him. And I, I would imagine there is an ideal scenario for him if he were to put down um, you know, opposite um, his his front leg that he has and his opposite back leg and then hike the other leg that he could pull this off. But he has not worked hard enough at this to figure it out yet. And uh, he starts to fall over and then uh, decides to put that third leg back down. Um, 
I need to get this on video because I think it could be a viral sensation. But um, poor guy is probably a squatter for life, no matter how mainly he wants to appear. So I'll give you a good uh, dog pee story on the way out. Uh, if you're not a member, please consider. I'm telling you, you get good value for the price of a cup of coffee or a uh, cocktail. And I say that, and I know that a good cup of coffee or a nice cocktail is much more than $5.99. So come get good Titans value. And until I talk to you again, I urge you, don't block the box. And uh, please, please do lock your locks.